Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Good for you to be here. So thankful. We're going to continue our, our series today with joy. But before we start, let's pause and let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this day that you have made, Lord, that we can take opportunity to rejoice in it. Lord, that we can pause and still ourselves to hear from you. And Lord, that's what we desire this morning, is that you would speak to us. That the things we read and the things I talk about will be things that you can use to continue shaping our lives so that we can live lives that are filled with purpose and hope and even with joy. Thank you again, Lord, for this morning. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we're going to speak about joy, I thought we should first begin with a little definition because one of the definitions of joy is a source or cause of deep pleasure or delight, something greatly valued or appreciated. And so the key I want you to focus on here is that it's the source or the cause. Joy is not something that it's just an emotion. There is a source to joy. There is a cause to joy. The emotion would be the result of the cause, but it is the cause that we want to kind of focus on this morning. And you know, as we talk about the birth of Christ, I, I guess probably the most obvious passage would be when in Luke, it says, the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring good, good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You know, we sing joy to the world. We don't sing happiness to the world. You know, that's a different song. But joy to the world is the idea. And again, this is connected to the cause. This is connected to the source, which is the birth of Christ. And so something about Jesus being born, something about Jesus coming here is to be a source of joy for the world. And, and so I want to look at a different passage this morning about this birth and kind of examine the idea of joy. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 to 25. If you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand and they'll get one to you. Otherwise, let's begin Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, it's interesting if you ever see a children's play and you always have the cast, right? You have Mary, you have baby Jesus, you have the shepherds, you have the wise men, you even have some sheep in there, you know, because they have to find a, a place for the kids who can't, you know, do their lines. So you're a sheep. They also have a place for Joseph. And Joseph has about as many lines as the sheep. He doesn't have any. We, we don't hear from Joseph, his voice at least, in Scripture. But we got to give it up for Joseph. At least that's what we want to do today. Because we have to try and see what took place in him and then through him. You see, as the passage talks about, he was set up to be married. He was pledged to be married. And the idea of being pledged is kind of similar to an engagement, but they they had three different stages, basically, of how marriage took place back at this time. The first stage was, was the contractual stage. It was an agreement that was made not between Joseph and Mary, but between their parents. And father of a daughter, I like this idea because the parents get to be involved with this kind of thing and say, yeah, no, okay. And really the contract is like, okay, what is she worth? And they would work out an arrangement, okay, she's worth, you know, this much. Okay, that's the contract. And after the contract is the espousal stage, and that's kind of the engagement. But you see, this takes place after that contract is made. And it's kind of like us in the, the wedding ring, you know. It's like, oh, you're going to get married, let's see the ring. Oh, so they would say, oh, you're going to get married. Let's see the chickens. You know, I mean, it would be kind of that kind of thing. Oh, look at them. They're clean. They're cute. And I forget the three C's to a diamond. You know, it's something. And they would look at the, okay, what's the contract? Oh, you're going to, okay, wow, that's great. What a great deal you're getting for your daughter or vice versa. And then the third stage is the consummation where they actually consummate their marriage. And it tells us in this story that Joseph and Mary didn't know each other physically in that intimate way until after Jesus was born. And so imagine this, you, you've made a contract. You've set it up. Okay. Whatever the contract's going to be, this is what's going to happen. We are pledged to be married in the eyes of everybody. You are already married. The contract has been made. Now you're going through that second stage and then you will eventually consummate the marriage, but you are considered married by everybody around you. And it says that Joseph was a person who was faithful to the law, and so he was a person who was understanding of the law, 
And then he has this conversation with Mary. And imagine the conversation. Mary comes to Joseph and says, hey. I don't know if she said hey, but she started off some way and she's, I've got some news. It's good news. Oh, really? Good news? Yes. It's wonderful news. Well, what is this good news? I'm pregnant. But it, it, it's not from a guy. It, it's from God. <laughs> perfect, AJ. That was perfect. <laughs> what would your reaction be? Right. And you see, Joseph, a man who knows the law, says, I, I can't continue in this relationship. I, I need to divorce this woman. And usually this would be a time to put her to shame because if he doesn't, he is put to shame. She's shamed me. She has been with someone else. And now what, what is going to happen with this contract? We already wrote the agreement. We already paid the chickens or whatever it's going to be. And now... I find out this, but Joseph, even though he was a person who knew the law and knew that he could write that divorce, decided to do it quietly, which gives us an idea of his character. And it's kind of funny because, you know, the way things would work then is people would not fall in love and then get married. They would get married contractually and then they would grow in love. And there's something to be said for that because even those of us who are married and loved our husband or wife before we got married had to learn to grow with them after we got married and are still learning to grow with them. That's part of what marriage is about. And so in this time, whatever time it was in that espousal stage, as Joseph is there He's understanding, okay, love is a choice and it's not just an emotion and I have to deal with this and he chooses to deal with it in a way that's quiet, not to shame Mary. But then he has a dream and what a dream this must have been. Okay, because I've had dreams that seem real, but when I wake up, I know it was a dream. Something took place in this dream And maybe it was in answer to the question or maybe it was in response to what Mary said that put the dots together and Joseph said, okay, I'm not going to follow through with this. I, I recognize that something else is happening and so I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm not going to put her away and I will deal with this. Now, I don't anticipate this, if I was in this situation, feeling good at this time. There, there is nothing that would be feeling, oh boy, I feel so joyous. The woman I'm espoused to is pregnant. She says it's from God. I had a dream. God said, yeah, I'm responsible. Don't put her away. But now what are we going to do? I I can imagine this being a very difficult stage for Joseph, very troubling. And and then we know from Luke's account that there is a census, that they, they have to go back to Bethlehem while she's pregnant. And it's like, oh, God, can you give me a break, please? 
I mean, I've already said I'm not going to put her away, and now I have to go do this and, and be counted, and I have to take my pregnant wife on a donkey, and we have to travel miles here. And then when we get there, there is no room in the inn. This does not seem like a joyous occasion for Joseph or Mary. And just like we talked about last week, the idea of peace on earth, where is this peace? And that is peace is something that first possesses us before we can possess it. We see that joy is connected to a cause. It's connected to something, not just there. It's a source that we have to connect to for us to find it. And we find that joy often is involved or often involved with the joy is also suffering they they seem to work together they seem to go together last year when rick and Kay warren's son committed suicide and died when Kay heard the news that her son was indeed their fears were realized that her son was dead and that he had taken his life, the first thing that she said is, I choose joy. And, and Rick was startled by that and a little puzzled. And he goes, what, what are you saying? What do you, what do you mean? And she says, I am choosing joy and not going to let the despair override my life. And what she was doing was trying to connect to something other than the event that was happening in her life. And I bring this up because I know for a lot of us, this season is one that brings with it, oh yeah, it's supposed to be a season of joy, but it also is a season of sorrow. Maybe you've lost someone dear to you. A parent, a spouse, a child. And when the holidays come, it only amplifies in so many ways the loss of the person that you love that you would want to share this season with. And if we are not careful, that despair can overwhelm us. Just like I imagine it could overwhelm Joseph in this story and just like it was overwhelming Rick and Kay when they lost their son. And so what do I do when I'm in this situation and I have this emotion of sorrow and this emotion of hurt when I'm going through this difficulty? Where is joy? Where is this joy that is supposed to be in this world that we are supposed to connect to? And what we need to recognize is that our actions and what we connect to will help us. It's said that in short term, we regret the things that we do. When we do something foolish, we regret it short term. But long term, we regret the things that we failed to do. When we look back, we look and see, I should have done this. Short term, we regret our actions. Long term, we regret our inaction. But you see, that begins here and now. And 
joy is something that we have to choose to connect to. But it's connected to something or it's connected to someone. Just like faith. Faith doesn't stand by itself. You have faith in something. You don't just have joy. You have joy because of something. And so it's not just an emotion. It's connected to something, a a source, a cause, someone who we value, someone who we appreciate. And it's important that we understand this and how it shows up. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, there's another passage here. And to get an understanding of what's happening, Nehemiah has come and has brought together the nation. He's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They've been devastated and just left abandoned for so long. And it's broken his heart. And as it's moved him, it has moved him to action. And finally, as they're doing the building, they, they come across a copy of the law. They'd been without the law. This is something that unified them as a people. This is something that identified them as a nation. This is something that they held dear to them. And they hadn't heard this law for years. And so now they read the law. And as they're reading the law and understanding it, something happens to them. And so we see chapter 8, starting at verse 9. It says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They were weeping because now they were getting guidance. They were getting instruction. They were seeing that their lives as a people had purpose, that God had direction for them. And they had heard these things, but they had been without them for so long. And so their hearts were broken. Have you ever seen someone who you hadn't seen in a long time? And all of a sudden you're just overwhelmed with emotion because, oh gosh, I haven't seen you in so long. And you see them and you break down. They hear the law and it's as if they're meeting with God. And they start mourning and they're weeping. In verse 10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, saying, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I've always thought that verse strange. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I always think that, okay, God is going to give me joy and that's my strength. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying that God's joy What brings God joy is my strength. What has just happened? God has revealed himself through his law to his people. That is his joy, giving of himself, directing his people. And that is your strength. God's revelation to them was now their strength. And I love that he says, go and have a party. 
God has revealed himself to you. This is a good day. Have you ever been feeling just bummed about something that you've done? You know, or something you failed to do. The way you reacted to somebody or you acted in anger. You know, I was short with my wife and I, I said some things I shouldn't have said and I acted just childish. And I think back and I have all of a sudden this conviction of like, why would you do that? And I was like, ah, oh, why did I do that? That was terrible. What's convicting you? Is it a revelation that God is saying, hey, that's not right? I know it doesn't come across that way, and usually at that time we don't say, oh, joy. But isn't it an amazing thing that the God who created the universe would speak into my life And let me know when I step out of line and say, hey, that was bad. What an amazing thing that God would show up and reveal truth to me. So even though I I feel like a crumb because of how I behaved, what an amazing thing that God would reveal that to me. And and I think at least... (laughs) My experience, God reveals himself to me a lot that way. Unfortunately, it's like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, that was terrible. But I'm so glad he does. Because who would I be if he didn't show up and speak to me? If he wouldn't give me that instruction? And though it might make me want to weep and cry because, God, I've blown it. I feel so far from you. It's actually the opposite, Lord. Your revelation, which brings you joy, is now strength for my life. And so I believe that God wants to reveal himself to us. And his revelation to us will be strength for us. And our joy is connected to the source, to the person, to who he is. And it's important that we see that and we understand that because, again, the joy doesn't stand alone. What gives God joy gives me strength. A while back, I had gotten a phone call and was asked if I could go and visit a woman who was at home in hospice care. She had cancer and was dying, and her family called and said, hey, can you come and pray over our mom? The daughter was calling. And, and, you know, when you get a call like that, I don't know, I didn't know the family I don't know who they are, so it's kind of awkward because it's like, well, I'm going into someone's place that I don't know in a situation that's dire and very heavy emotionally. And so it's awkward, you know, for you to go in there 
it's awkward because you don't know them. It's awkward because of the situation. It's awkward because they're wanting something for you and you're going there saying, what do I have that I can give? And so I went to the home and the family was there and the, the mom was in the room and they had the hospital bed for her. She was on a wheelchair and the bed was there and she was just sitting in the wheelchair, just kind of comatose, not really moving. Her eyes were closed. And I said, yeah, she's in here. And as they led me into the room, I was talking with the family a little bit. And then they said, well, yeah, we'll let you, you know, pray with her. And they all left the room. I was like, oh, man, okay. You know, and I was like, well, she's just sitting there. She's not doing anything. And I was like, well, okay, I'm going to pray for her. But, you know, hi, are you, how you doing? Are you okay? No response, just sitting there in the chair. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to pray for her. And I just started praying. I don't remember what I was praying. But you ever have your eyes closed and then feel like someone's staring at you? I was sitting there praying, and all of a sudden I just felt like, okay, I started peeking, you know. <laughs> and as I opened one of my eyes, she was right in front of me, eyes wide open, staring right at me, just inches away. Freaked me out. I think I let out a little noise or something. I, you know, I just kind of like, oh. This wasn't prepared for that. And as she's staring at me, she doesn't, she just stops for a while. And I just stop and I'm just staring at her. I kind of back up because it was kind of coming into my space, you know. I was like, there's air being exchanged here. And I, I, I'm uncomfortable right now. And so I'm kind of standing back. And then she leans further in and she just tells me, my family is crying because of me. And then she sits back. What do you say? How do you respond? I, I don't care what seminary you go to. I don't care what school you go to. Nothing prepares you for those questions. Nothing prepares you for this situation. And in my mind, I'm racing to find something. God, what can I give to this woman that can bring some kind of hope, that can bring some source of joy? And I have this belief in me that everybody is here for a purpose, that God has you here because you can be of value for him to somebody somehow. And I'm racking my brain trying to think, okay, God, how, how can this take place? Her family is crying because of her condition. How does this take place? And I just leaned in and it was almost as if I wasn't sure what I was going to say and still, until it started coming out. And I just leaned back in and I said, you are of value and you can still pray for your family. And God will hear your prayers. And you have worth. And then I stopped saying, I hope that was okay. I thought it was pretty good <laughs> at the moment. And then she stopped. And she leaned back. She said, that's true. And then she fell asleep. And I was like, what the heck was that all about? <laughs> but... Something connected to me in that moment 
when something connected to her. You see, joy isn't about how I feel or the environment I'm in. It's about me connected to a source, connected to someone. And she found hope knowing that she could pray for her family who was also suffering even as she was suffering. And reminds me of a passage in Hebrews speaking of Jesus. You know, after chapter 11, this incredible examples of faith after faith after faith, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And I wonder what sin is it that entangles us more than depression, more than that sorrow, more than those things where we feel useless, when we feel powerless, Don't you realize that that inaction, one day you will look back and say, oh, I regret not living that life that I could have lived. What is more entangling than feeling helpless? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And now once again, we get to the source, to the cause. Our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And then we see the example in Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. What was that joy set before him? It was the reconciliation of us to God. The source of our joy is the son of God, even as God told to Joseph, you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, you may not be able to rejoice in this season because of the losses that you have and have experienced. You may not be able to feel the emotion of excitement and, and thrill because of where you are at but you can still have joy because God is with you and your life has value and purpose and you are useful to God. And you see, his joy will be your strength and he then will become the source of your joy. So that in spite of your circumstances, You can choose joy. I don't feel joyful. I don't feel happy. But I can have joy. Because I'm making the choice to live my life in the reality that God is with me. And because He is with me, I have value and I have purpose for Him in this world. Because you will not have joy if you're not connected to the cause or to the source. It doesn't matter your circumstances. It matters who you belong to. And the good news, the great tidings of joy and comfort is that God is with us that he has extended himself to you and to me and that we now have access to God 
and that he speaks to us, that he reveals himself to us. And in times past, he did it through the prophets. But now he has done it through his son. And we have his son. And that's the good news, and that is the cause, and that is the source of our joy. Let's pray. Lord, I know that this season is an emotional one for so many people, and I pray, Lord, that we would connect to you and find a source for joy. We thank you for the revelation of who you are. And even as we have read, Lord, you have given us this good tidings of comfort, of joy, because God, you are with us. And I pray that would be a realization for everyone here. And as we're praying right now and just in a time, if you are going through a time of emotional hardship, maybe amplified because of the season, would you raise your hand? I just want to take time and pray for you. God bless you. Father, you see these people who have raised their hands, and Lord, you know the heartache that they're going through. And Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, just like you gave your law to the people at Nehemiah's time, and just like you revealed yourself even to Joseph. That though it was difficult, as he looked back, there would be joy because of who you are. Lord, may they connect to you and may you provide joy in this season in spite of the losses, in spite of the hurt. Lord, might they choose joy. We thank you again for your faithfulness, your goodness to us, Lord, and your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.